Welcome to the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inspire you to make the most of your journey in health and performance. Each episode will provide an in-depth discussion on a specific topic related to human performance. If you're a growth-minded individual seeking knowledge and better solutions, this podcast is for you. We're glad you're listening in and we're excited to learn alongside you. My name is Gabe German. I'm alongside my co-host, Todd Tukin. On today's episode, we are joined by a great friend, Coach Donnie Mabe. Donnie's in his 25th year of coaching and currently serves as the head coach for Olympic sports and assistant athletic director for athletic performance at the University of Texas. Donnie is a master strength conditioning coach and has been a part of three national championships at Texas, including the 2005 football team. Donnie is a motivational speaker and is passionate about teamwork, excellence, and leadership. To learn more about his experience and services, you can visit DonnieMabe.com and follow him on Instagram at DonnieMabe. We also recommend you check out the UT Athletic Performance Podcast series titled The Team Behind the Team. On this episode, Donnie provides some reflections on his journey, both professionally and personally. We discuss the topics of stability, growth, and work-life balance. Later in the episode, he shares with us what might be next for Donnie Mabe and provides us a sneak peek at a book he is writing. We hope you enjoy. d big baby. What's going on, fellas? Donnie, thank you for being us, uh, being here with us today. We're incredibly grateful to sit down and listen to you talk. Uh, we always appreciate your time and, and love to be here with you. What's going on? You know, Coach, just uh, we finally got our first, I think we're going to get into the 40s here in Texas. Todd's here in Texas now. But for me personally, that is, uh, that's always a sign of fall. It was headed, headed our way and holiday. So, man, it's been a busy, very busy semester like normal it's been crazy but i'm excited about this change of weather in texas but all is well in austin good we're glad to hear it so okay donnie you've been at the university of texas since 1998 very impressive and i know you're a man of humility but it feels like at this point ut athletic performance is basically synonymous with donnie Mabe, and it makes us wonder in a world that's ever changing people coming and going strength conditioning coaches leaving for new opportunities, head sport coaches hired and fired. How have you been able to be such a stable force at Texas Athletics? What has been the key for you to create stability there? I mean, I think that question, you know, first of all, it's a great question. I think there's, I think there's multiple layers to that. I think number one, as you were talking, and then Todd and I have have talked about this over the years, um, just about burnout, you know, uh, I just got back from a, an, a, like an AD conference in Nashville and people are leaving, not just strength and conditioning, but they're leaving college athletics like in droves. And I think the level of burnout um, has probably reached an all-time high, I think, coming through. I think there's a couple pieces of that, right? I think coming through the pandemic, maybe people rethink their careers. And then with with budgets being strapped and probably staff being trimmed down people are being just overworked and underpaid so I think that's one piece that's current that's more relevant to what's happening right now Uh, I think for the long-term picture to be at a place like Texas 
I think you've really got to, you've got to just be able to reinvent yourself throughout the years. I think uh, the biggest challenge I still face today, and I faced this, I, I was having a conversation about this at this AD conference was like strength and conditioning coaches. We get, we get labeled, right? And you get kind of put in a box and go, oh, that guy can only do that or that that gal she can only do that that's all she can do and, and a lot of times some of our strength coaches are some of the most talented professional people on in in this career field and what I mean by that is they're very administrative they're very organized they work across multiple departments and in units within a large organization so you get you get snapshots of how different departments work and you have to develop people skills and perspectives from different angles and different people in different departments. So I think really having to fight that, be intentional about reinventing yourself, getting outside the weight room, getting on different councils, taking leadership courses, working, even serving in different departments. I've done some of that over the years, I think is huge uh, to help you kind of create that longevity within a department in a big school. And if I can jump in there and I, this will go into our conversation later too, when we talk about growth, one thing that I, I appreciated when I was on your staff is how intentional you were about the growth of your staff. So bringing in guest speakers, whether it's from the business school or bringing in outside coaches from other countries, can you kind of talk a little bit on when that started for you and why that was so important? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Todd, I think back when I first started coaching, we used to, this is like back in like the old days before we had podcasts and clinics and symposiums. And we used to, ISSA used to bring, uh, they started these like weekend seminars. And I used to get so mad, Todd and Gabe, when I used to have to work these things. But it was kind of, you looking back, it was kind of a foundation of who I am as a coach, right? Because we would bring in like, I'm going to date myself here, but like Fred Hatfield, Charles Staley, uh, Poliquin. I mean, we would bring in some of these. During their time, these were like pioneers in our profession of strength and conditioning and like performance, right? And I would go pick these guys up the airport. I was the guy that would always be holding the sign. <laughs> go get these guys. I was a little gopher, you know, pick them did up. Did you have the hat on? Yeah, I'd have a did hat you, on. Did you top. have the driver hat on too? <laughs> no, no. I should have probably though. But I'll never forget like picking up Fred Hatfield. and He was grilling me in the truck on the way back to – the weight room in Boulder that why do you say strength conditioning like me it's basically saying the same thing saying strength and strength and so I was like this young coach just soaking up this knowledge of these like pioneer guys uh, teaching curriculum that nobody was teaching at the time so I think that was a early on I was 24 25 at the time was probably a, a foundational principle and that would serve true my whole life that kind of has impacted me and even today I mean I mean, I got back from Nashville just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and still just trying to learn from people, even people that are younger than I am, you know, and just trying to get a fresh perspective and lens of how you see the career and how you evaluate and make decisions and network with people. Um, I think that's something. And I think, Todd, you said this when you are here. I got this from you kind of, but I'd rather spend more money on our professional development than I do on equipment. You know, I think that sends a message of what you value as a leader and as a staff, now, I don't know that we technically do that, but I think that's a good principle and, and model to follow for any kind of staff you have. So, Donnie, let's go back even further before you were picking up people from the airport and a little bit uh, a younger, younger Donnie. 
have you always had that mindset of growth and looking to learn from others? And how did you develop that? Honestly, I think for me, you know, I always talk about this in like, there's always a dark side to leadership. You know, there's a book called, it's called The Dark Side of Leadership, and it's a phenomenal read. It's not really like a, it doesn't go into like the X's and O of leadership. It goes to kind of like, why do you lead the way you lead, right? And so take, for example, to be transparent, I had a very dysfunctional, broken home growing up in Tennessee. My parents divorced when I was really young. There's a There was a lot of pain there. I, I um, Fortunately, sports became that outlet for me that I could latch into and find identity and purpose and kind of find, really it was a safe haven for me because I would, I didn't want to go home. And so uh, I would stay at the gym and just work out extra so I didn't have to go home. And so I got addicted to training and lifting. Back then, read muscle and fitness was the deal, taking uh, supplements. Uh, the bus would drop me off early in the morning at the school and I'd have an hour and everybody be sitting in the hallway just chit-chatting and like, you know, just wasting time. I literally would sneak down the hallway and get into the weight room by myself with one overhead light kind of shining in the room. And I would just train by myself in the dark. And at night, I back then you had these big boom boxes. At night, I'd get up in my room, lock myself up in my room. And I had a big boom box and would play like Run DMC and like, you know, music like that. And like Def Leppard, this is back in the 80s. I'm dating myself again, but I would get up there and, and I had a DP weight set. It was a concrete weight set. And I would train with concrete weights at night for like 30 minutes an hour before I'd go to bed. And so I just got this kind of high and addiction to training even at a young age. And so that that kind of growth mindset was part of who I was early on and kind of gave me an outlet to how I dealt with like pain and dysfunction at home. And it, it's kind of been the, it's kind of been the, 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 my saving grace my whole life, I'd say. And now how about when you transition? Cause I, I'm not sure if all of our listeners know, but uh, you know, Donnie was a pretty dang good football player and spent some time at university of Georgia uh, at playing football there. So as you transition from at home into college, is that something that followed you like that growth mindset where there certain figures or influential people in your life once you got to the University of Georgia that kind of helped continue to foster your desire to grow? Yeah, I love that's a I love that you made me a lot of memories just flash before me right there. But there's a quote I want to share. And I think uh I think that's pretty uh appropriate for this, but and it's kind of I don't forget where I got this, but it's like a lot of people sit in their ship metaphorically you know you're sitting in your ship and you're waiting for this wind to blow and you'll set the sail right but it's actually the opposite if you'll set your sail and be ready the wind will eventually come that's kind of what happened to me at georgia again i went through a dark season of uh just struggle and trial it's funny how to me when we all go through these seasons and struggle i call them like crucible moments right where you just are really in a, a bad season of life or stress and things are going your way. And you got to figure out, I think it always comes back to your identity and purpose, like who you are and what your core values are and like, what, why are you here? And so I'll never forget, I, I wasn't starting. I was on a scout team at, at Georgia and man, guys were bigger and stronger and faster. And my dad, you know, I, I was talking to my dad about quitting and transferring and he, he sent me this, article that was written about me and he had me read it he sent it to me in the mail and it was just talking it was me just being interviewed 
to remind me of like who I am as a person, what I believed in. And it kind of woke me up from like this like self-pity thing I was in. And it kind of was like a smelling salt to me. So I got back to life, started training again. And I ended up meeting, as fate would have it, I ended up meeting this guy. Uh, it, it was a place called Gold's Gym. Uh, I'd go train on my own just back during the, the 80s and 90s when uh, they didn't log hours. So I'd go train on my own when we weren't training with football because I wanted to get better. And I ended up meeting this guy by the name of Coleman. This guy ended up being like a guru in strength and conditioning. So he starts training me one-on-one. And dude, i tell you what, I got bigger. I started, I got my bench and squat up really high. I ended up starting for Georgia. So that was a, that was a, a key pivotal moment. Again, it goes back to that point of what you said, like this hunger to grow and improve and, and develop myself so that I could make a difference on my team. And so that desire has never gone away in my life. And it's always been a catalyst in a season of struggle to get me out of it, to figure out, okay, how can I reinvent myself? How can I get better? How can I make a difference in, my, in, in this team that I'm on? And so that's been a big piece of it. Yes. And so when, when you were at Georgia, you were an art major. And you were known as Picasso and Pads. I hated it, Todd. I hated it. <laughs> but there's a lot of similarities between your creative ability with art. Right. And then your your creative ability, how you wanted to reinvent yourself and how you always wanted to be better. So was that a reason you were drawn to art? Or is that something that you were just interested in? Well, I think to your point, I've always had this creative side um, to me. I've always been like a a deep thinker uh, I've always was that guy that like I've, I've always had like one or two really good friends and you know would kind of be good if you just put me up on a mountain and let me sit in a little tent and, like think about life right I've always been that kind of guy like a deep but those those kind of types are tend to be a little bit loners uh, you can be a little bit more prone to depression so I've always had that kind of edge to me um, but and I'm aware that going back to that dark side of leadership I mentioned earlier that you've got to know your weaknesses as a leader and know how to manage yourself through those seasons. So I think the one thing that's, that's always kind of helped me is uh, being creative. And then because my dad was really good at art and he was creative, Todd, that kind of made me pursue art. And then it's funny to you, you know, it's kind of ironic. So I end up taking art and I think, oh, I got into coaching. Like I'm never going to use art. I end up using my degree, I think more than I've used it at any other thing with all the speaking I've done, developing my own slides, you know, just thinking outside the box, having a different range of how I view uh, problems and work with people, just being creative and just even develop myself. It's been a, it's been a huge thing for me actually to, to be quite honest. So it's been huge. Yeah. And as you kind of now move forward uh, into your years at Texas and you're now sitting as a director, I believe since 2011, is that right? Yes. Yeah, since 2011. So um, how have you been able to ensure that with so much responsibility and such a fluid environment that you've still been able to continue to grow as an individual? Um, and, you know, Todd had mentioned being in your office and making time for others. And, you know, if you've ever been in NES and B2 down there, you know, sitting in Donnie's office is a pretty special thing. He always makes time for others. How have you been able to make sure that you can still take care of yourself and you can still continue to grow as Donnie Mae? I think for me, the way I'm wired, kind of going back to that, like I just, I, honestly, I'm just not very happy. 
happy if I'm not, you know, if I don't feel like I'm improving or working on something. Um, I get stagnant and then I start losing motivation. Um, and it just kind of hit a, a standstill. And then that's when I realized, like, dude, I've got to, I've got to rethink this. I've got to, I've got to find like my next niche that I need to work on or next problem to solve uh, or next project to work on. And so I think for me, it's always been having that. I, this is the only way I know how to say it. You've got to keep your feet on the ground, but you've always, always got to look at that 50,000 foot view of like where you're headed. And so the view from up above will keep you excited and motivated. But the, when you're down on the ground, that's where you got to do the hard work and roll up your sleeves and stay, stay present and relevant. And so I think not losing that vision of like where I'm going and what could possibly be in the future gets me fired up and excited. Um, I mean, going to this leadership conference with all the ADs and hearing, seeing all these younger people getting these big jobs and hearing how people are addressing problems and solutions are coming up with, I've never heard. I mean, that kind of stuff kind of gets you going, you know, at least it does me. And uh, that gives me hope too, because I can see like, Hey, this is where I could be. If I'll, if I'll commit, dedicate myself and put the time and the work in and work on myself, this is the possibility. And, and then I think the other piece of that Gabe, is you got to sit down and have very candid, intentional conversations with people in your life to let them know what you're, what you're working on. I think in the past, I've not done that. And so you kind of spin your wheels a little bit. So you've not only got to work on yourself, you've got to take that next step and have conversation with people like, here's what I'm working on. Here's my goal. Help me get there. And people will do that once you start, once you kind of pursue it. So I think that's the other piece of that. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those people in your life a little bit. And, and you had mentioned having this view is look ahead, feet on the ground, but look ahead. And we have a couple of questions later that are related to that, which we're really excited to talk about. But for the people who have been a part of your life, you know, from the start uh, of coaching, moving forward, like, how have you been able to, and I think this is some good perspective for some younger coaches as well. And some people in the business is the idea of work-life balance. Like you're starting as a coach and then, you know, you, you marry Miss Karen and you start to have a family together. How did you go through, take us through like what it was like being a coach and, and, you know, putting in the time and, and the hours that it takes to be a really great strength conditioning coach, but then also starting to balance these new things in your life, like having a wife and having daughters and having a family. Yeah, I think the I think the hardest thing for people, and I mean, I'm Todd has worked with me, and you have too, but Todd's definitely seen me up close. This is a challenging, most challenging thing, right? What I'm about to say is just creating boundaries in your life, right? Um, where you're making time for your family and for yourself, and not not getting run down too much. So I've definitely have been guilty of that, and still will sometimes. But I think again, it goes back to like I keep kind of referencing, but that dark side you know growing up in a in a family that was so dysfunctional and so much pain the number one thing that I've always wanted Gabe is I've wanted a healthy strong beautiful family I didn't say perfect now our family's not perfect but like last night uh before I came you know I got home a little early we had dinner together was, my 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 all my girls are in town like Isabel Anna Evelyn and all the girls are getting older they're all they're all in town right now. And we all took the dogs on a walk. And I'm just walking around this neighborhood and I'm 52 years old. And I'm like, man, our family is so awesome. Now, again, we've got some craziness in there. I won't get into some of that, but <laughs> like, dude, our family, like this is the dream 
that I dreamt of back when I was 23, 24, 25 of, of not just having a great job, but man, more, more than I wanted a great job, I wanted an amazing and beautiful family that was intact. We love each other. We're good friends, right? And it goes back to that definition of success, right? And my definition of success, success is this, right? To have the love, admiration, and respect of those closest to me. And that means my wife and my girls. I want their love, their admiration, their respect first, not just people in the career field or my administrators up here. Like, that's great to have that. But I think a lot you can, as a, as a coach, as, this may be successful. You can have, like, maybe your players or people in your career field that really look up to you, but maybe your wife and your kids don't trust or respect you because you don't have a relationship with them. And so I think you got to evaluate that lens of like what makes you successful. And for me, it starts at home. Because, and I said this to, uh, we were at this, this conference a few weeks ago. A lot of leaders think that their job, you know, if, the, if their family sometimes can kind of pull on them and take away from their leadership at their job, right? They, they'll, they'll say that. I, I think the opposite, the, the better husband and dad I am, the better a leader I am at work. And so I just have flipped kind of my perspective and lens and mindset of like what makes me successful here. If I'm a, if I'm a better husband to, to, to Miss Karen and I am a great dad to my girls, when I come up here and work with my staff and with my players and athletes and coaches, I'm going to be more compassionate. I'm going to be more patient, more understanding, more relevant then I think if I'm disconnected from them. So I think that's a, a priority and a tenant for me for success, success. And is that something that you preach to your staff now? I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily preach it, but if somebody comes to me and their family, they're sick or somebody's hurting, I'm like, dude, just get out of here. <laughs> this is not that important compared to what you're dealing with. You know, just, I just try to, I try to re-remember and really reiterate to, to staff like, hey, we got a, We have a team up here for a reason. We don't have to have you up here every single day of the week. Like, if you need time away, like, or if you need to go see a, your sister or your dad or a cousin, like, get book the flight, get the hotel, and get get out of here and go see them because this is not a priority. Uh, your family is way more important than anything we do here at Texas. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm just, you know smiling really happy for you and, and and the scene that you painted for us of you walking yesterday with the dogs is, is awesome and uh you know we're happy for you that you can have those moments and enjoy those moments which is great so um as we kind of continue to reflect uh back a little bit this is a question i love to ask people is if you could go back and give young donnie some advice and you could talk to him what kind of advice would you give to your younger self yeah, that one's always, that's a, such a good one. I think, again, I don't know that this is, that you're capable of doing this, but I, I would say um, when I first got into the field, I just was way too serious because you guys know me now, but I just took, I just took things way too personal. Um, I mean, I remember my first two years of coaching I almost quit and tried to change career fields because I was just absolutely miserable at Colorado. And I just didn't have the perspective of like, how do you manage my, you know, how do you manage your boss? How do you build good relationships and rapport with your coworkers? Um, and I, honestly, a lot of it comes back to what I just said earlier in this talk is like, you got to be able to be an advocate for yourself and stand up and, and set boundaries. 
because as a young coach, I, I think I said yes to everything. I was afraid to speak up and and I ended up getting like really angry and you get, you build up this frustration. And the next thing you know, man, I hate this job. I don't like being around these people and I don't like doing, being up here because I worked too many hours. I didn't know how to have a, a crucial conversation with my boss about how he's treating me. And I didn't know how to set boundaries and, and have respect to stand up for myself to our, to staff I work with and, and have that, you know, that, that lens of how people viewed me. Once I started doing that, I started enjoying my job a lot more because I started getting the credibility. I started getting respect and admiration that I needed to be successful. Cause if you ain't got none of that stuff, you can't, you can't win in this field. You can't. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's some great advice. And um, how about another reflection question? If you could go back at any point and do anything different, would you do anything different? Yeah, I think um, I think I've done I've, I've done a good I've done a decent job of this since I've gotten older. But just get your butt outside the office, dude. <laughs> like the I know I think you guys have you ever read the book uh, Arranged by David Epstein? Have y'all read that book? Anyway, that he says it in I think three hundred something pages. Like you're gonna find answers to your career and your job and not in your career and field and job. It's going to be outside of that. And so the more people you can have conversation with, build relationships with, that's not in the trenches of what you're doing is going to, it's going to launch you and, and, and propel you in your career way more than, than people that are going to talk about how you power clean or program and speed development. You're going to get way more than from that uh, doing something outside the box than inside. So I think that's because I was just so, I remember, funny thing I read a story we were talking about I'll never forget I think it was 1990 Michigan ended up no for for my first few years of coaches like, oh you got to train a certain way or you look at all the teams that are winning they're Olympic lifters and blah 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 and then finally Michigan won I was like wait a minute they were one set of failure I was like they won it it really you can win it with different systems and I was like yeah I really don't know what I think I know and that was like my first big humble pie of like and now I've gotten older I'm like yeah I, I had a conversation with one of our administrators last week in a car. We were coming back and I was like, yeah, dude, one of the, probably one of the worst lifts you could probably do. And this is just again, learning from, is doing really heavy back squats all the time. <laughs> That's one way to jack up people's bodies is just load their bar, load the spine. Right. But I had to go and learn why, you, you know, there's other options to do that outside of my career field through soft tissue stuff and massage and, and saw, uh, corrective stuff. So I think, Again, get outside the, the career field, get outside the office, think differently, look at things differently, paint pictures differently. will make you a way better coach and, and leader if you'll do that. Is there anybody outside the office that like you never really thought you would run into or meet, but they would have such a profound impact on you as a coach? Yeah, I mean, I think every time, you know, um, I think, and Todd's heard me talk about this, but the more you can like volunteer and do things that's outside of your, like, again, I've, I'm a man of faith. I think both you guys know that. So I volunteer, um, whether it's in nonprofit stuff or I've done stuff in our church over the years, but that's given me opportunities to meet different leaders and lead from a different capacity that that's probably had the biggest 
the impact on me. And I think, have y'all ever heard of that book called Give and Take? That's probably one of the most big time books I've ever read on just your work in life. You neither, if you, you guys are book read, you won't be able to put it down. It's, it's very heavy research based. Uh, it's not just like frou-frou kind of stuff. But in that book, he talks about, right, there's, there's four types of people in your, in your work. There's givers, takers, there's others, um, and there's matchers. So givers, takers, he calls it otherish, and then matchers. So givers are not actually the, the best ones. They always get taken. You get run over, right? Takers climb the, the ladder faster, but they end up getting caught ethically. Something goes wrong. Um, matchers, like they always, if you give me 50 cent, I'm gonna give you 50 cent back, right? We're always matching, but it's really the other, he calls it otherish. It's those that can give, but they're, they're able to put boundaries down in their life and actually like look out for yourself. So there's a balance there. And so he shares the 100 hour rule in that book they got from a, there's a research firm over in Australia that they did over so many thousands of employees over a certain time span that they found that if you can take 100 hours a year, which I think that ends up to being how much, like a little over two hours a week, right? They found out if people can take 100, the number is 100 hours a year and devote that to something outside of your job, can be whatever you want, could be a hobby, but you're giving yourself, right? You're setting a boundary in your job. You're going, I'm not working anymore. I'm going to give two hours a week I think to something different, these people are more resilient and robust to guard against burnout in their career than anybody else on the planet. And so I think finding that other niche outside of your work is going to be so healthy. It's going to force you to set a boundary. It's going to develop a skill set in another area that you've never experienced. It's going to keep you from burning out and keep you fresh in the long haul. Yeah. So for you, you know, as you mentioned, volunteering has been that for you. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And other activities that maybe aren't a hundred hours uh, in a year, but just other things that Donnie Mabe likes to do outside of the office, uh, going on walks with his family, volunteering. What are some other activities that you like to do that you feel help keep you fresh? I think, uh, again, I'm a John Maxwell junkie, but I always say there's two things, right? Whenever you travel, you got to go visit great places and you got to visit great people. And so I'm notorious for when I go to a city, I'm going to have coffee with somebody or I'm going to go visit somewhere. And I think uh, I literally, and Todd has seen me do, and Todd kind of has done this over the years too, when he would travel with, with his teams. If I'm going to a city like who can I visit and go see in that city and just have coffee with them. Like, for example, we went to, uh, we went to Seattle for men's tennis indoor nationals. Now, I'm going to be honest. I did want to cheer the boys on, but I was more excited to go up there and see and visit a bigger ground fitness, which my good friend, Luca Hosevor, I think Todd, you know him, but so I literally got up at five something in the morning, went up there and watched them train groups and got to meet some of their staff. It was so fun. I did that. I went and, uh, I went one day and just peeled off by myself, went to, uh, see Ron McKeefer, who had just gotten there, took a tour of his facilities, talked to some of their sports science staff, met the nutritionist, went and had, uh, went and had uh, I think we went and had lunch together. So I just, I'll just do stuff like that all the time. 
And I think that's made a difference for me over the years, just kind of building those relationships. Um, I remember we went to El Paso one time. And I reached out to a pastor, pastor of a ginormous church there, and he just randomly had coffee with me at Starbucks. He just picked his brain on just leadership and stuff. And so I think those have just made those little bitty nuggets over the years and just connecting and networking is just maybe just love what I do and it's helped me grow. So it makes a difference. So travel to your question, answer it. Travel is huge. Yeah, I love to second that. My favorite part, at least uh, as a strength condition coach, was always the road trips. Like I loved Googling everything about that, whether it's a small town or a bigger town, like just Googling everything. And for me, I love great food. So like, you know, I, I would love to research where I can go get some good food or go get a good coffee. Or, you know, I remember going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland by myself, just like spending the morning there is like one of the happiest times I've ever had, just like enjoying it, listening to great music. And then we had a game at night and I was just like, I was bumping, I was ready to go. So it's always been really fun. Uh, if you ever get the chance to travel as a, as a strength coach or just anybody uh, to be able to go out and, and do those things that you had mentioned. And to, I mean, I just want to second all of this too, is because it's being intentional. Like you're going to have opportunities to go places a lot of times as a coach that you would never actually want to maybe, maybe plan on going and doing exactly what you two just said and just being intentional with your network because in being able to meet people out of, outside of your scope. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. To your point, like, for example, my daughter's in club volleyball. We were in Vegas for four days, uh, this not this past summer, summer before. So I guess who? I looked up Bo Sandoval at UFC, took a tour of their facilities, met with all their staff. And I went and visited another church, like up in that was got all these YouTube, like influencer guys I met connected with, like, but I could have slept in, stayed and slept in bed and just kind of stared at my phone all day. I could have get my rear end out of bed, get showered and shaved and go meet people and network. And so it, it makes a difference over time. It really does. Yeah. Now, you know, at least in my time being a, you know, graduate intern there with UT athletic performance just being in you know b2 and seeing the amount of people that would walk through the doors there from other areas wanting to come visit the university of texas and come visit there and uh you know you always having you and your staff always having an open door to those individuals um i could see how you know even that like you don't even have to go somewhere sometimes you're always welcoming anyone from any walk of life into those doors just because i know that you're you know hungry to learn from them and maybe there's something that they're looking for something from you. I know that you're always looking to get something from that experience with them. So um, we can definitely see that in your DNA for sure. So we had a chance to um, reflect a little bit and I just want to start flipping the conversation a little bit into a little bit of a forward thinking uh, lens. So Todd and I, this past May, were with you at the CSCCA master's dinner in Oklahoma city. And we were sitting at the table with you and we had a chance to celebrate and honor the coaching career of Jeff Madden, which was an incredible, it was a very real, very heartfelt experience. I think it made everybody in the room think about legacy and how you'd want to be remembered. So my question to you, Donnie Mavis, what, how do you want to be remembered uh, either as a coach or as an individual? What do you want your legacy to be about? I mean, I think that question for me is pretty simple. When when I like when I get done, whether it's coaching or my life comes to an end, right? I want people to. It's kind of like that that question of like, you know. I, I think it was Miles Monroe who passed away year, years ago. He, I, he's got some phenomenal books on leadership, but he talked about this too, Gabe. 
And the way he kind of set it up is like, you're set, you know, you, you're, it's your funeral. You're in the casket. It's open. People are walking by. Like, what are people saying about you as they walk by? Like, what do you want people to say? What do you want those conversations to be like? And I think for me, it's simple. Like, I want people to know, number one, first and foremost, that I sincerely value people. Like, people matter to me. And I think if I can, I can do that, I think um, that's something that's going to live beyond me. Um, so I think in, in, a, in a nutshell that, that I loved, valued, and respected people, no matter if you were the janitor or if you're the, the AD or the CEO, like, I feel like that's so important in life that you treat people with kindness, respect, and whether they're picking up trash bags or they're, you know, on a jet plane, like our roles are so important in the jobs we do and they're difficult. So I think that's, that's important. Um, and I think secondly, I hopefully those that I walk closest with that I'm hoping that I was able somehow some way to help them be more successful than I was you know I always feel like as a parent um the true mark of being a parent is are your children thriving and going further in life than you did because if, if I had to struggle to get to where I am like I want to set my kids up for success and so I think anybody that I've worked with or or been that's had on my staff I always want to try to help them Whatever their goal or dream is, let's get you to that level. You know, I want to be a part of that journey. I may not be the whole piece of the puzzle, but if I can be a, a piece of that link of that, of where you get to that next level, like I want to, I want to do my part to help take you to that, that, that next step and next level. And I feel like as a leader and as a, as a colleague and as a professional, it's my professional responsibility. And I feel like my identity as a, as a person, uh, my purpose is to help people get there, to elevate them. Yeah, well, you know, we obviously think very highly of you and and surely in our head as we look at you, we we see someone who definitely loves, values and and respects people uh for sure. So, uh, you know, we hope that you can continue that and we have no doubt that you will. Um my next question is we we've heard you previously mention this idea that everyone has two peaks or curves in their life. Can you elaborate on that a little bit and what that means to you? Yeah, that's one of my favorite. Uh, again, I think that's had probably the the one book that's changed how I view my career more than anything has been the book Halftime by Bob Buford. He Bob passed away. I think it's been several years now, but he was a guy that I think lived here in Texas, owned a uh, cable company. In the short story of it, he was a millionaire, built this huge company, but got to this stage of his life where he's miserable and he couldn't figure out like what was going on. And so he came up with this book, this principle of halftime, which is a sports analogy of like, you know, in every sporting event, there's a halftime. And, and the one question he asked is like, what do you do at halftime? He goes, it's simple. You make adjustments. And so just like in your, your sporting event or your game at halftime, you make adjustments. You need to do the same thing in your career field, in your profession on the total timeline of it. Right. So Halftime, he says in the book for us as professionals, is anywhere in your mid to late 30s up until you're probably early to, to mid 40s. And again, don't quote me on that, but it's it's late 30s to early mid 40s. Uh, it's, it's, he calls it halftime. And so there's two sigmoid curves, right? The curve, the first curve is when you start your career, it starts off kind of low and it drops. You don't do well usually at first. And so it starts to drop down 
in your late 20s, it starts to turn. And in your 30s, you start to climb. Well, if you follow that sigmoid curve, and you see, I've seen this in coaching, you guys have too, probably in your, your mid-50s, they start to peak. And then somewhere in their 60s, they're starting to come down again. So it's a, it's a, it's a drop, a climb, you peak out, you stall out, you start to come down. What he recommends is somewhere in your the halftime, right? Instead of just stalling out, you start your second sigmoid curve on your while you're climbing up. And that second sigmoid curve, you'll drop again and it goes down. And so that first sigmoid curve is climbing, that second one's dropping. But guess what happens? As you get to your first sigmoid curve and it peaks out and starts to stall, guess what's coming up? Your second sigmoid curve is climbing again. And then that second one, you start at halftime in your late, your late 30s, early 40s, mid 40s. And he calls that little gap in there between that you got to make changes and you, you got to make adjustments basically in your career. And uh, the first sigmoid curve is all about success. It's about what you gather, how much money you make, the positions you accrue, the trophies you win, the accolades you put on by your resume. It's all about success. It's about you. The second sigmoid curve has got to be about significance. It's about others. What, what have you taken and what are you giving back? Who are you helping? Who are you elevating? What are you leaving behind, right? I think those are the questions, like you said, of legacy. I mean, I have, I've had these conversations with our coaches on, on different sport teams here. I've literally talked to one of our uh, tennis coaches recently. Like, Coach, what are you you're getting a little older? Like, what are you going to do? He doesn't know. And I've started kind of like sharing his vision with him. Like, Coach, here, I know what your next step is. You'll do this, this, and this, but you just got to set it up. And it's funny when you have these conversations with older coaches, they get excited because it speaks to the skill set. All these years you've spent gathering and gleaning this information and coaching and teaching and get it to be competent at a high level, take that, repackage it, and start giving it back and making a difference in the world. And so as I get older, I definitely have that vision of how I'm going to give back and make a difference. And I'm already starting to do a lot of it, so... It's uh, super exciting, but yeah, it's called halftime. Bob Buford got to have that second curve. It was a great illustration you gave us there of, of those two curves. So if I'm asking you to plot yourself on those curves, where do you see yourself right now? I just turned, well, I'm, I'm about, I'm 52. I'll be 53 this year. I'm definitely, I feel the weight and pressure of that second curve of it's getting to where I'm doing more and more with consulting, speaking, travel. I'm doing more and more of that. Um, I get more, I've had more conversations this year on just mentoring and like pouring into others than I've ever had in my whole time coaching. So it's shaping up for that game. I think um, I still feel like there's one more leg in my career as a professional to, I'd love to try to move up into like an AD role, like a higher level one where I'm overseeing not only staff and performance, but maybe sport oversight at some point or some other piece like that. I feel like I've got that in me in capacity. So that's what this whole conference was about. Again, that will be another uh, piece of that second curve of where you're giving back. Because then you get to where you're coaching others more. You're not on the ground floor doing everything, but you're teaching and mentoring, training other people to go do that for you. And so that's that's the urgency I'm definitely feeling in this this stage of my career right now. Yeah. I'm thinking back like 
to when I was there with you, 2016, 2015, 2016 time. And in your description of the curves, you know, you start beginning, you have this halftime, you start beginning that second one, even though you're still on that first one. And I remember you talking about, you know, a conference like this. I don't think you're new to this conference. Is that right? Like you've been thinking about this and doing this for some time. It's my fourth time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I can recall, you know, you talking about that and that's kind of that beginning of where you're starting that curve. And then now to see you years later here and kind of continuing and, and, and talking about next chapters uh, for Donnie May, that's, that's pretty cool to see. And I'm replaying that back in my head and it's kind of making sense to me now uh, seeing you on this trajectory, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of next chapter, we've heard that you're in the process of writing a book. This is correct. So what can you tell us about this book and when can we expect it to be released? Because you know, me and Todd will be two of the first people online for the book signing. I know you guys are awesome. I'm going to give some love to T-Pain to Todd right here, but um, Todd, I think I got the, just this, this conversation, they kind of made me uh, just have this light bulb moment, but I don't know if we'd call it this, but it's going to be, it's, it's basically going to be the John Maxwell leadership book for strength coaches. (laughs) 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 literally going to be the there's three there's three sections to it right there's going to be the path uh there's going to be the people and the promotion and it's all like the the path is all it's i've written i've written over two-thirds of it the path is like how you get started like early beginnings how struggle it's a struggle right it's so hard it's you got to really figure out who you are and kind of like how you make your your little niche as a coach and then the people is how you how do you start leading, right? How do you start learning leadership and managing difficult situations with people that you oversee? And then the promotion is like going to be the third piece. Going to be how do you actually move up in a career field that's that's very difficult to move up in? How do you get promoted? How do you uh, intentionally get the training, the mentoring, and take the classes and the experiences? It's going to set you up for success to run in different lanes because our as you guys know, this profession is changing rapidly. And there's becoming more and more different lanes and in, 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 uh, different titles and roles you can hold than we've ever seen before in the history of this profession. So how do you move up into that and branch out and do different things and make a difference? So that's the book in a nutshell. What was your inspiration for writing this book? Like, when did you start? When did you first have this idea of like, I want to write this? Somebody said one time, Gabe, like, don't write the book. Um, don't write the book that you want to write, write the book that you need to write. Right. And I think, so I kept trying to come up with these different ideas for books. It just was floundering. And I was like, what do I need? I like the one thing that I just need to write that I know that I've studied the most is leadership because I've studied and taken a lot of classes on it, but I think more than anything, I've made a crap ton of mistakes leading. And I think that is where my sweet spot is. It's like, where have I had those failures, flops and fumbles, right? of I've screwed it up royally how can I take that with the books and classes I've taken kind of conjoin that together and roll out just a practical toolkit of like how you lead uh, as a coach and I think that's what I've from the stories the, the mentors I've had the horrible mistakes I've made where I've almost gotten fired before to pissing off head coaches to you know dropping the ball with staff and not hiring different the right people or whatever it may be you know, I think uh, those lessons are so timeless 
And again, that's a way for me to give back to this profession in a way that will live beyond my years. And so I think that's the heartbeat and where kind of the, the impetus came from, Gabe. Well, I, I know for sure that, well, yeah, Gabe and I'll be in the front of the line to get a book signing and then we'll also be advocates for you because we've both firsthand experienced your leadership and mentorship. Uh, and we know one, it's a passion of yours and how much it's influenced both of us. So obviously we're very thankful for everything you've done for us. Appreciate it. T, I'll sell two books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to buy a couple of copies. I'm, okay. I'm going to be right. handing them out. I'm going to be handing Thank them out. I appreciate you guys. Y'all are awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I, I just went back to us because a few times I just, and I feel like every time we talk, Donnie, like I just always can remember so vividly just like sitting in your office. Like I, for whatever, it's such a great feeling, you know? And when I hear you talk, it's kind of where my mind, start, my mind starts wandering a little bit, but like behind you have all these books, you know, and anyone's been in your office, there's always these books and Hey, Donnie, what book you're reading? Or I, you know, got my first full-time position. Hey, Donnie, what book do you recommend? Like you always have an answer. So now to think like, okay, I have an office or I have some resources here at home. Like I'm gonna have that D made book sitting up here and, right. I'm, and, and absolutely be able to uh, recommend it to somebody one day would be, would be incredible. So uh, it's really cool to see that come full circle. I know we're really excited about that. No, I mean, I'll tell you the, I've had this book in my heart for so long. And uh, it's funny when, you know, as you guys know, just it's hard to sit down and do it. Just the writing part has been the hardest. It's making time to, because it's not just writing. You got to have the energy for it. And so I think that's been the challenge. But it's, I mean, I can clearly, I can see not only the book, but the way that I, my kind of, I guess my heart, to your point, Gabe, it's my heart and intent of how I wanted to help and impact people's lives in a positive way. And I think that's kind of the, the heart behind it. Yeah. And uh, I think, I think first time, you know, I went to go work for Todd, I, I asked you, Donnie, I was like, Hey, do you have a book for me? Do you got something for me? And it's funny. Cause I think one of the recommend the book you recommended was uh, how to be a linchpin. Right. Uh, Steph think, that book's big time. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. And I'm just like, you know, I remember I went and got one uh, and I got it by my desk still. So exactly. it's it. Yeah. I, I put it by my desk at Washington and, and I had it there and it's just a nice little reminder and it's with me right now at my desk. So um uh, that book is a big time book though it is yeah absolutely so i think when you think about like you know have you invested in people and do you value people and you want to help people become successful like absolutely like you, you have that impact on individuals so we're very grateful to have you here with us today yes sir i appreciate hey, it I, you know what i think we're gonna to have to have you back on and we're just gonna to have to do a book review we're gonna to have to go through about 100 books and just start chopping it up i can that so. i can do for sure i can give you the I could literally do give you the the snaps or the the what do you call it when you shorten it? I guess uh, like the cliff notes or something. Yeah, just cliff notes, a short version. Uh, synopsis is what I was trying to say. Yeah, of each book, like so fast because I'm kind of like you, Todd. You're like I don't y'all know Todd's, but he's like he's got a photographic memory on books, and there's just certain parts of books I just it just like like etches into my mind like a laser, and I can just remember because it impacts me. And I share it with others. So I think that's where it kind of comes from, Gabe. Yeah, I think that's a, uh, you know, that's going to be a great resource for anybody. And I just, I want to make sure we mention some, a couple other ones. You know, we have DonnieMabe.com. Make sure you go check out that awesome website that Donnie's got cooking over there. And then also a great podcast that you have over there with uh, University of Texas Athletic Performance, the team behind the team. Uh, I've enjoyed all the episodes on that. And, and really, it's been an amazing resource to listen to. And talking about some of that, you know, 
ability to reach others and impact others on another level. It's been a really great resource. So highly, highly recommend team behind the team. Uh, make sure you check that out. Um, and Donnie, as we kind of finish up here, something we like to ask all of our guests that join us is you got to tell us a little bit about what, what your training program is like right now, what you're doing at home or, or at the gym and what that's looking like. Oh, me personally. Okay. Oh yeah. Because we, we've been seeing the Instagram videos there for a while. You're out there working yeah. out in the driveway. Okay. I'm going to be super transparent here and raw. My work schedule has been nuts up here with little groups every day with where volleyball is in season and in men's, I got volleyball and men's tennis and they're, they're, they're like opposite schedules. So I'm getting hammered in the morning. Todd, you've seen it. I get stuff in the afternoon and tennis. Those guys are playing tournaments all over the place. So it's buck wild. And then volleyball is like, you know, we've got 18 girls. We've never had that many girls on the team. So I've got more individual sheets this year than I've ever had. So work schedule has been a little chaotic, more than normal. So it's been harder for me to work out here. So what I've been doing, I've got literally at home, we've got, a, you know, Onnit Academies here in town. I've got a big, I think Todd and Gabe, it's an 80-something pound gorilla kettlebell at the crib. And I post it on my Instagram story sometimes. And uh, that sucker, boy, I'm telling you, you talking about get the monkey off your back, that sucker kicks my, I do swings with it, carries, squats, I do ISO holds with it. So I've got a, just a, just a, not a very sexy at all, like a little garage gym set up. So I'll go home, I'll run. And it'll be so, it'll be, you know, it's starting to cool off now, but it's been a hundred plus degrees. I'll be dripping wet at the at the garage at the house. I got a little little circular fan that blows back and forth. So I'll do more training at home. Like on Saturday, Sundays, I'll train at home. So because I know Monday's up here, I'm slammed. And I'll get a couple days a week up here. So I'm staying consistent, but it's just not, it's not my most conducive schedule. But I can't make excuses because I got the garage gym. And I like the garage gym for one reason too. I really can like, I need that space where I can just like clear my head. Nobody's wanting to meet with me. Nobody's asking me a question. Nobody's knocking on my door. No athletes coming in. No administrators coming in. I can get in my little garage. Um, I will make a confession. I've been drinking. I'm sorry. This is unhealthy, but I've been drinking monsters lately. Sorry. <laughs> Coach, you, yeah, you are tired, aren't you? Yeah. But I, <laughs> I got off of them. I promise, Todd. I'm, I drank my last one the other day, so I'm done with the monsters. But, uh, so I'll get in, the, get in my garage, get some, I'll go for the run, get some hydration and put a, put a book in or a podcast. Usually it's a book or music and just zone out and get recharged, man. But it's been, it's been my sanctuary this fall. It's been huge, but I'm definitely, I think I'm down to like, I'm getting real lean. I'm down to like 225 right now. So. Yeah, that's really on. lean. I'm staying on. What was, what was the biggest you were at Georgia? Did you ever get to three bills? Yeah, two, I was big body coach. I was like 282 and couldn't run two laps around the track. Your boy, <laughs> your boy get booty locked on the second lap. So, <laughs> too big, way too big. Yeah. Well, this this was awesome, Donnie. Yeah, thank, thanks for your time. And obviously we love we love chatting with you. And uh yeah, we'll definitely hopefully hopefully have you have you back. So no, it's a always a joy and delight just to talk shop and catch up. And I really appreciate uh just you guys, what you're doing at Kaiser, what you're doing for Texas. You guys are a huge, not only, I mean, we obviously use your equipment, but just to have that close connection and core value with you guys has made a difference for us. 
And I know you're going to change. I know we're going to get get some upgrades and stuff here. But guys, thank you from from our bottom of our hearts to Kaiser as well. We appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate Thanks, it. Coach. Got it. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. To stay up to date on all things Kaiser, follow us at Kaiser Fitness on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more content, you can visit our Kaiser Fitness YouTube page and at our website, www.kaiser.com. Thank you and have a great day.